Today on Ag News Daily. It's um, the services and technologies that the ag industry has had at its disposal for the last almost generation have really been uh, very people driven. Good morning, Ag News Daily listeners here on the Ag News Daily podcast. Delaney Hall joined alongside Jennifer Holiday. And Jennifer, you are gearing up to wrap up your student elections. Tell our listeners a little bit about that because I think it's pretty impressive. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, I am running for student body vice president here at Iowa State, and it's been a blast through over the past five months or five weeks. Five months would be a long time. (laughs) Over the last five weeks, my running mate and I have visited over 50 clubs to give a presentation on different points that we would like to improve for the students of our body here. Um, just to make everyone's experience more inclusive and exciting and welcoming in the end. So today and tomorrow are voting for all of the students on campus. And then Friday, we get to find out results. Well, that is certainly exciting. We are wishing you all the best. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It has been a long journey, but a great one, to say the least. Well, I'm very impressed that you have to do all this campaigning and I've seen some of the stuff you've shared on social media. It's a lot of work what you've had to do. It is. And Emily, my running mate and I, we cannot even take close to all the credit. We have had an amazing campaign team by our side the whole time. We've had a photographer, a videographer, a social media manager. They have helped relieve so much of the pressure off of us so we can focus more on talking to the students and they can help us um, in the other aspects as well. Well, that's really neat. Super excited to hear how that goes for you guys later this week. Thank you. I am excited to share with everybody as well. Well, we'll look for an update on that from you later this week. But in the meantime, Jennifer, what do we need to update our listeners on as related to the news? Yes, jumping into my first story of the morning, the Agriculture Department on Monday issued a proposed new regulation restricting product of the USA labels on meat, poultry, and eggs to animals born and raised in the U.S., The proposal would effectively close a labeling loophole that allows products to use such a label for beef and pork that is simply just repackaged in the U.S. President Joe Biden called for a reassessment of the labeling regulations as part of an executive order in 2021 on promoting competition in the American economy and a commitment made in the admin's action plan for a fairer, more competitive and more resilient meat and poultry supply chain. The White House says the increased clarity and transparency provided by this proposed change will prevent consumer confusion and help ensure that consumers understand where their food comes from. The present labeling standard has been in effect since Congress voted in 2015 December to repeal mandatory country of origin labeling laws for beef and pork. The action was forced by Canada and Mexico when the two countries challenged the COOL laws as trade restriction before the World Trade Organization. As part of its review, USDA commissioned a nationwide consumer survey. The survey revealed that the current product of USA labeling claim is misleading to a majority of consumers surveyed with a product or with a significant portion believing the claim means that the product was made from animals born, 
raised, slaughtered, and processed in the United States, Delaney? Yeah, I saw some updates to this story as well that are a little different from what you have to report on. And that's looking more at the consumer perspective, Jennifer. The North American Meat Institute said that the USDA's um, attempt to change the proposed rule of the product of the U.S. label is going to likely result in trade retaliation from Canada and Mexico, which could cost American consumers and businesses billions of dollars. They said, unfortunately, this opposed rule is problematic for many other reasons, and the USDA should have considered more than just public sentiment on an issue that impacts international trade. They said, our members make considerable investments to produce pork, lamb, veal, beef, and poultry products in American facilities, employing hundreds of thousands of workers in the U.S., with processes overseen by USDA inspectors. This food should be allowed to be labeled a product of the USA. So it's a very contentious issue, not as cut and dry as we had originally expected, but I suppose I can see where the North American Meat Institute is coming from if they are having clients or if there are facilities that are paying lots and lots of money to get this um, product of the US label by having more expense to produce it in the U.S. and process it in the U.S. I can understand where they're coming from. I'm not saying I agree with it, but I can at least understand where they're coming from, Jennifer. Definitely. I read a little bit on that this morning, too, and it's definitely a good side of the situation to consider with all things being said. It certainly is. Uh, And it's not as clear cut as we once thought it was. So it sounds like there's there could be a lot of issues bringing being brought forward to potential technical meetings under the USMCA agreement, Jennifer. But in other news here, um, as we're continuing to look at production around the world, Australia has increased their already record wheat crop estimate. The Australian Bureau of Agricultural and Resource Economics increased their estimate of the 22-23 Aussie wheat production to 39.2 million metric tons, up to an 2.6 million metric tons from what was already expected to be a record high crop. Besides record wheat production, they are also expecting a record large canola crop and not quite record large, but third highest barley crop as well. Uh, they said abundant rains this year really boosted yields and hurt crop quality a little bit, but all in all, uh, we've definitely seen some record high yields in Western and South Australia, which caused great yields for the Aussie producer. And that, of course, is coming into play as here in the United States, we're seeing a little bit of the opposite effect as inclement weather continues to pound, especially winter wheat country. There's concern of a freeze injury on Kansas winter wheat here over the next seven days. And it's uh, definitely continuing to be in the longer term forecast as well of colder than normal conditions. But the seven day minimum temperature conditions animation here for especially that swath of Kansas is expected to be fairly cold, Jennifer. So continued uh, freeze warnings for those parts of the country in the winter wheat belt. 
Yes, and staying on the agronomic side of things, new research at Michigan State University will help provide more accurate carbon soil measurements. Bruno Basso, who led the project, tells us soil carbon samples typically don't consider the soil's density and how it can change over time. The research has allowed them to understand that despite the fact that the carbon percentage can go up, if bulk density goes down and is not adjusted, the ultimate carbon stocks can be lower. Basso says many policies use carbon, soil carbon stock changes to determine the success of sequestration programs, and the model effort will allow farmers to be fairly paid for their efforts as well. It really helps both farmers and anyone in the carbon space to be able to have the proper quantification of the stock, Bruno says. He also says that the model will now give altering soil testing depths to track carbon capture over time. So I just thought that was some interesting new information to share with everything that is going on in the carbon world. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how much of the conversation this week at Commodity Classic is also geared around carbon because last year when we were there, I'm trying to think back, seems like biologicals, carbon, those were some top key focuses of a lot of companies there at Commodity Classic. It'll be interesting to see if that's once again a focus yet this week, Jennifer. But a focus of the Fed has obviously been to squash inflation at the Fed chair's latest press conference, Jerome Powell. He said confidently that they've begun a disinflationary process. And this has begun showing a gratifying corner has been turned and that he and the central bank have continued to fought inflation. However, recent inflation data since February 1st, when he shared those remarks, has moved in the other direction. In inflation, quote, surprise index is what Citigroup is calling it. The index from Citigroup rose in February for the first time in 10 excuse me, for the first time in months. And when Powell testified before the Senate banking committees on Tuesday, Powell will testify Tuesday today before the Senate banking committee. And the question mark is going to be as to whether the focus will be on him remaining confident as he was then when he made those initial remarks about disinflationary measures that the Fed is on the right path or whether or not he has to eat his words a little bit and go back on what he was saying just a month ago. So it could be pretty telling today to see what remarks come out of that testification. I can't talk today. What comes out of that hearing today, Jennifer? Absolutely. And looking at my last story I have this morning, highly pathogenic avian influenza, commonly known as the bird flu, ravaged the U.S. flocks in 2022, as we all know, with USDA's Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service estimating 58 million birds have been culled since the bird flu was first detected last year. Egg prices peaked in December at around $5.43 on average, then decreased 52% to $2.61 per dozen in February of this year, a 47% decrease from the beginning of 2023, according to the USDA's egg report 
an egg market news report. Bill Northey, Agribusiness Associations of Iowa CEO, led Iowa's fight against the massive bird flu outbreak in 2015, which decimated 50 million birds in two months. He says a new hypothesis has unearthed a potential crack in flu transmission research. He says, I haven't gotten verification from scientists, but some are saying the flu may be lingering in the domestic population. We always thought it was migratory birds, therefore the exposures would be worse in the spring and the fall. But we're seeing more and more reports of the flu outside of those timeframes when temperatures are down and birds are more susceptible. While talk of the potential for HPAI's spread to become worse each year is alarming, research is needed to understand the full scope of the disease. Yeah, I think we've gotten more questions and answers when it comes to bird flu, Jennifer. Absolutely. I can definitely agree with that, having learned a lot about it last summer. Certainly agree there with that. It's always good to learn more about that. But one thing we have learned here from a Rabo Research Food and Agribusiness report shows that first quarter global beef demand for 2023 is expected to remain strong, as Matt Bennett was alluding to yesterday. On the flip side, demand will remain strong, according to the report, but shrinking feeder supplies are continued to be the trend here for 2023. Uh, Different countries are also following this suit as well as we're seeing other countries decline inventories. Brazil is anticipated to see actually a 2% increase in beef production. However, as we know, China has shut the doors there to Brazilian beef imports due to the mad cow disease that was reported a few weeks ago now. And in the United States, as I mentioned, feeder cattle and calf supplies reflect a four-year decline with beef cow numbers just 1 million head below levels a year ago, but the smallest cow herd since 1962. China is expected to continue to see strong demand, but they have actually seen pork prices fallen due to decreased consumption post-high COVID infection levels. Japan is also noted in the report And high prices are reducing demand for beef for the Japanese consumer. But all in all, they're saying that the outlook here for beef is still a very rosy one and should continue here through 2023, Jennifer. Yes, that was some great information to share with our listeners. But I am all out of stories for this morning. Do you have anything left, Delaney? I don't think I do. I think we should just hop right into the markets here. Jennifer, what do you say? Absolutely. Let's go for it. Well, as we look at this Tuesday morning overnight session here, heading into the opening bell, May corn down a penny and three quarters at 635. New crop corn down a penny and a half at 568 and a half. In the soybean markets, pretty quiet here in the overnight. Did give up a little bit of yesterday's gains as the May contract is down about four and three quarters cents at 1524. New crop beans down four and a quarter cents at 1375. Hard red May winter wheat is actually up just a tick here this morning at a penny and three quarters higher at 799 and a half. Obviously not making up all of yesterday's losses. And Cattle continue to churn full steam ahead. April live cattle up 67 and a half cents at a buck 66.10. 
uh, April feeder cattle up two dollars fifty seven and a half cents at a buck ninety eight sixty, and April lean hogs were down a dollar oh seven and a half yesterday. We'll open this morning at eighty three forty seven and a half. Jennifer, without further ado, let's kick it over to today's Tech Tuesday conversation. Yes, today's Tech Tuesday conversation is with SmartWire. Joining us today, we have John Brubaker, who is the CEO of SmartWire. How are you doing today, John? I'm great, Jennifer. Thanks for having us uh, on your uh, on your podcast. Absolutely. We caught word of SmartWire and some new things happening within the company, and we automatically knew it would be great to have you join us for our Tech Tuesday episode. So before we jump too far in, could you explain what SmartWire is and the goals of the company? Sure. Thanks for that. We're, we're a software company, and um, we work with the ag retailer and the um, ag supply distributor. We help those guys with uh, a lot of their commercial side of their business. So how they serve their customers, the grower, uh, how they think about um, their, their pricing, uh, their business profitability, a whole bunch of things in the, in the ag retail space. Awesome. So then going in, do you have specific products to offer to retailers and customers? Or how does your data work with benefiting everybody in the end? Yeah, that's a really great, really great question. So our our tools are designed to help an ag, uh, an ag retailer serve their customer. Um, those software tools, uh, modern software, are things that a, a business person would use at their, their desk, uh, work in the office, um, they might log into with a, a web browser. Um, and we're specifically focused on helping those retailers uh, understand the value of the data in their business uh, as a way that they can then improve um, their operations, um, better understand the products that they're offering uh, to, the, to the grower and to the market, and really to take advantage of that information to, um, uh, to move their business forward into the, the next era. Amazing. And in the news today, SmartWire actually had some big announcements. Um, SmartWire announced the ability to better track sales transactions and more timely, accurate incentive payments, all centered around the importance of data health. Could you tell us a little bit more on that? Yeah. So I think one one thing that people might not really realize about um, the uh, farm input supply chain is how complex it is to put together um, the end offer for uh, for the market or for the grower. I think particularly for some of your um, your listeners who uh, might be uh, farmers themselves, that they may see those uh, see the impact of all of this um, messy and complicated data in receiving a, a price quote or a product offer or a bundled offer from their their retailer, and uh, even in some cases um, a whole number of uh, complex rebates and incentives offered by uh, major manufacturers, companies like. Uh, uh, Pioneer or Bayer, um, and so we we really help the retailer get to grips with all that complexity um, by um, really working with them to improve the quality of the uh, business information. Um, just as a grower might be focused on uh, some of the agronomic information he's got, these retailers are really focused on improving the um, the 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 heavy lifting commercial information that runs their company. 
Yeah, you were listing off some really big titled companies, and I'm sure that data health is extremely important to them. Could you explain more of what data health is and why they should understand how important it is to manufacturers, real retailers, and even the entire ag supply chain? Sure. Yeah, you know, I think it comes back to what a, a really um, high-performing uh, supplier or retailer can do if they're running a better business, which is, uh, you know, create some of the financial capacity to innovate, um, create more sustainable offers, uh, bring new uh, technologies to market. And, and at the root of that um, better performing business is, is healthy business data. Um, even some of the, 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 the clunky data, like um, how you measure products out, um, how you manage uh, transaction information, sales records, uh, really a lot of the stuff that, um, that you need to uh, understand how your business is performing annually. And for some of the, those bigger companies, um, if you imagine a, a, a business, a, a multinational that has salespeople in many districts is serving growers or local communities in uh, multiple places across the country. Um, you're multiplying that that data problem by uh, almost exponentially. And so really getting to grips with understanding how accurate that stuff is, is, uh, is at the core of, um, of running a better business. Yes, that is all great information. I think that all companies of all sizes need to consider, especially coming from a non-technical standpoint, as I can understand that I am not the most technologically inclined. <laughs> but going further in and not being technologically inclined, how is SmartWire different than what's already happening today? Like, What are the benefits and the comparisons of what's already out there? Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting um, perspective, and I you know you don't don't need to be um, embarrassed about uh, you know declaring yourself as not technical. Um, you know, it, it's um, the services and technologies that the ag industry has had at its disposal for you know the last almost generation have really been uh, very people driven. Um, and and what's exciting uh, for us as a software company is to see the agricultural industry, whether those are farmers and growers themselves or the retailers who serve them really thinking about the steps that they need to make to modernize their business. You know, if we look anywhere across um, our economy, um, what, you know, whether those are in industries like consumer goods or you know, financial services, oil and gas, you know, e-commerce, you know, we see successful businesses um, taking advantage of, of, of new technologies and, and things like software. And so where SmartWire is different is that we bring a modern software approach to uh, improving some of the business performance in a way that historically um, companies in the ag supply chain or ag retail supply chain uh, really had to rely on um, uh, just some people processes. And, and the problem with that, of course, is that uh, that's prone to human error. It takes time. Um, and that's what's so exciting about uh, being part of a software company that's helping retailers to do this stuff faster in order to serve their, uh, serve their grower customer. Absolutely. And John, you have shared so much amazing and detailed information with us today. Is there any last remarks on SmartWire and the new announcements that have been made about the company that you would like to share with everybody? Yeah, well, Jennifer, first of all, thanks for having us on uh, on the podcast today. It's been, been great to talk with you. I think the thing I'd leave you with is how excited we are as a company. Um, so what SmartWire is seeing is a real uh, change in um, the industry's investment in technology, uh, and importantly, to um, create almost a better quality of work and of life for the people who work in the industry. 
to attract really talented professionals to come work in it and, and to modernize their business. And, and that's, it's something that we see every day and every day working with our customers. Um, and it's, you know, certainly for your listeners, something for, for them to be excited about the, the modernization that's happening uh, in our industry. Absolutely. And just one last remark, if listeners would like to learn more, where can they go to learn more about SmartWire? Well, Jennifer, a, a, a great software company has a great website. So you can check us out at www.smartwire. That's spelled S-M-A-R-T-W-Y-R-E.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, John, and congratulations on the new announcement. Thanks a lot, Jennifer. It's been a pleasure. That was a great conversation that I was so glad to have with John, their CEO. And I will definitely be looking further into the company as I had never heard of them before. So I'm excited to learn more about all of the hard data that he was teaching me about. Yeah, that's really interesting and happy that you are able to step in and take care of that interview for us. Jennifer, it was a good one. Thank you. But we have great conversations or will have great conversations this week at Commodity Classic that our listeners can catch here on the Ag News Daily podcast. But in the meantime, Jennifer, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 